Hey gang, welcome to episode 229 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive, coming to you on Christmas Eve 2019. I am your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from the No Pro Studio, aka The Kitchen Table, here in Los Angeles uh, with what is our last episode of 2019. When next you hear us, it will be 2020. We will be living in the 20s. Whether or not you consider that the next decade or not doesn't matter. We'll be living in the 20s. Um, I, I go back and forth. Culture is a consensual hallucination. <laughs> Let's be honest about that. So is society. Rules are things that we agree on. Welcome to anarchy. No, a uh, little anarchy for uh, Christmas Eve, uh, which honestly, um, you know, Read your Bible. See what Jesus was up to. Um, he's, uh, he's he's not exactly what you might think he is when you actually read the Bible. You know, you you go and you 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 hear everyone talk about him and like everyone who's got a very you know idea, and then you read the stories and you're like, whoa, baby, like this is some this is some radical stuff. Uh, anyway, <laughs> didn't expect to go on that tangent. Hello. Bonus religious tangent from Noah. Uh, first thing on the bed. I wonder why we're not a more popular podcast, and uh, this this is probably why. I should probably tone that down. What are you here for today? You're here for something special. Um, we have uh, we have Michaela Holland, who is our NYC social correspondent, uh, is going to interview Abraham Berkson, who is the artistic director and co-founder of Odyssey Works. Uh, he's running it these days with Aiden LaRue. Um, and they've been doing, uh, well, let's set up, You know, for those of you who don't know Odyssey Works, Odyssey Works has been around since 2001. So they've been uh, in the immersive and experiential space for a very long time. And Odyssey Works is best known for two things. The first thing they're best known for is their work, which, shock, uh, they do bespoke immersive experiences for one participant. Um, and these are kind of given out as a gift. So they're free, uh, but you have to apply and, 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 you know, you have to get it. You have to earn it in some way. Um, and then you got to go to where they're going to do it. And then they set up a whole thing for you and they bring a bunch of artists in and uh, this they do this work once in a while. Um, sometimes, I, I, I can't be sure, I can't remember if it's an annual thing that happens. I think there's been some years where there hasn't been one, but there's one coming next year and if memory serves, there was one this year. They're also known, um, and, and this is one of the ways they do this, they're known for their master classes uh, in experiential creation, uh, which gets tied to these events. So they, they teach a class around creating experiential work and then they apply it, uh, to these, these bespoke things. And then people go and take their methods and apply them in all kinds of ways. Michaela took one of them and, and they don't only do the master classes in conjunction with the things, but they often, that's often how they intersect. Um, or at least they have intersected of late. Uh, Michaela, uh, took one of the master classes, uh, this past year. And so when, uh, the idea came up of, uh, of, of doing an interview, uh, with 
Abraham uh, and Aiden, uh, the, 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 the natural choice was Michaela because she would know what we were going to be talking about. Um, I don't like doing interviews where I've got no clue as to what's going on. You can always tell, uh, and they kind of suck. So luckily Michaela, uh, has had firsthand experience with their methodology. And, uh, one of the reasons why this is dropping right now is at the top of next year is the deadline for the next odyssey. So for participants, for people who are very interested in having a bespoke piece uh, created for them by a group of international artists. I mean, you know, kind of who wouldn't, if you can get to Libsyn, Portugal, ah, there's the rub. Uh, if you can get to Libsyn, <laughs> you should apply for the next odyssey. Uh, and that's coming up right at the top of the year. There'll be a link in the show notes. I, I want to say third or fifth, but, um, it's not in front of me at the moment. And I don't want to say the exact wrong thing. Just top of the year. Know that, know that the clock is ticking here. And that's why this episode is going out on Christmas Eve. There's a few other things that have dropped just in the past 24 hours. Uh, we dropped our best of 2019 best, uh, shows and experiences dropped that on Monday. And today we dropped our best moments. Uh, what we've done is we've pulled the team and everyone who wasn't too busy, uh, came up with lists of their, their favorite experiences and then also their favorite moments. I felt it was important for us to, uh, have both because there's, there's, there's assessing a show and assessing a whole thing. And then there's the stuff that's kind of the gold that is super precious, which are the moments. And, and I got to admit, I had more fun writing my moments list than I had writing my show list. Like my show list, I, I obviously I stand by it. Right. I mean, and I think all of that work is great. Otherwise I wouldn't put it in my list, but when it came to the process, right. Uh, the, the critical process of like, you know, what were the moments? What were the things? Uh, I, I just had way more fun doing that. And so I hope that you find these lists valuable, not only as a snapshot of what 2019 was for the team, not only as a way to calibrate your tastes against ours, which is a very valuable thing for folks uh, when it comes to criticism, right? Like you can disagree with folks uh, and <laughs> trust me, disagreement is like the number one thing uh, when it comes to criticism. You can disagree with folks, but it's it's helpful to understand how and why, or how and why your tastes align. Um, it, this is this is one part of the the critical process that I find really interesting. Um, and indeed, you know, it is it is the rare. I always put down, point out this example: uh, SF Chronicles Mick LaSalle. It is the rare time when we find ourselves in agreement. I think we just found ourselves in agreement um, in 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 a most unexpected place. Uh, but then there's other parts uh, of of uh, the, the film Irv. Uh, where he and I align perfectly, namely around film noir. So uh, it's, it's you know, I find the whole process really fascinating uh, and it takes all kinds of people to make the world work. And here's a moment for you to kind of, you know, tune your instrument when it comes to your tastes, uh, but also a chance to just celebrate Celebrate the year that was, celebrate what's been going on, celebrate some really lovely work, celebrate s sacrifices that people have made. Uh, people put a lot of work in this year, and uh, on the live side, it hasn't always been uh, financially remunerated the way it should be uh, for all kinds of reasons. Um, we can go more into depth, and I think when we do our look back episode with the team, 
which will probably be the next thing we drop. Uh, I'm probably going to go off at length about that again. Like there's there's things. Maybe I'll talk a little bit on on the back end. But those two lists. Um, there's like one or two reviews that are supposed to drop today. So uh, if you're one of those reviewers uh, who needs to slate up your thing and you're listening to this and you haven't slated up your review yet, you know who you are. Um, please put your <laughs> reviews in the thing. Um, and when we get back in the new year, uh, we're going to have a whole bunch of announcements regarding Here's Summit and Festival. Uh I'm really excited about what I get to share with you next, but I'm going to share with you right now. You got to have some present for 2020. Um, That's what's up there. Okay. So now one final note about the interview you are. Oh, wait. Got to check in on the Patreon. Patreon.com slash no proscenium. One of the reasons why I was like forgetting about it is that uh, we got no no new backers this week. So nothing new in our Christmas stocking. Boo-hoo. Um, next week, I'll you know make a bigger deal of it. But right now, a little bit of like, eh, to be expected. Um, sustaining backers of no proscenium are, as always, Mark Balthazar, Jan Budman, Paul F. Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, Samuel Mustry, Sidney Guillory, and Jeremy Charles Hahn. Thank you all. You pay my rent. Um... And indeed, that's the stakes here these days at No Persinium. No uh, Patreon.com slash No Persinium. Help us out, guys. Um, okay, enough of that. Um, uh, <sighs> I run past it because I just don't want to think about it. Um, here we go. So here's what you should know about uh, the technical aspects of this interview. This was recorded uh, using the internet. Uh, so folks weren't in the same room. Uh, so it is an online, so you're going to get some artifacts and whatnot. So it's not a pristine recording apologies. Uh, but it is a deep dive, uh, because that is what Odyssey works does. So with that, I hope this uh, helps round out your holiday week. Maybe you're going on a walk or a run or just finding some way to escape your family. Or maybe your family loves immersive and you're all sitting around uh, a beautifully reconstructed old radio, which you've turned into an MP3 player, which is exactly the kind of thing I would do if I was a crazy billionaire. Um, And maybe somewhere out there, a crazy billionaire is listening to us. In which case, I've got this. Oh, stopping, stopping. All right. Enjoy the interview. No Proscenium Podcast. This is Michaela Holland. I am a New York City social correspondent for No Proscenium. It is an honor to be able to be semi a host and semi an interviewer and then even semi an interviewee in this kind of format that we are doing here today. Um, I have with me my guest, Abraham Furickson, the uh, creative director, founder extraordinaire of Odyssey Works. Um, and we're just super excited to be talking a little bit about the masterclass program that Odyssey Works puts on. So Abe, Abraham, AKA Gab, and then we'll get into that later. <laughs> <laughs> welcome, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, it's really a pleasure to be here. Uh, so tell us a little bit for our listeners who may or may not be familiar, familiar with the Odyssey Works um, as a company as an arts kind of collective, as a very, for me, what I think is a well-known brand in the immersive interactive world. Just educate us about it, what it was, what it's doing, what it wants to continue doing in the future, et cetera. 
Mm -hmm. um, so Odyssey Works is a performance group that creates performances that are interdisciplinary for one person audiences. They're entirely immersive and they take place in your home, all over the city where you live, maybe a city you're visiting, and they last a day, a weekend, sometimes a week, sometimes months. Um, and they involve people you know, people you don't know, artists in multiple different disciplines, and they use the world as the stage. Um, our work is entirely immersive in that it's not just that you're in the space of the performance, the space of the performance is in your world. Uh, we, we use the material from your life. We use, uh, we use the people in your life as actors. If we're looking for somebody to play your mother, we have the best performer in the world to be your mother, which is your mother. If we're looking for somebody to um, be your best friend, we can uh, enlist your best friend. If we wanna simulate the workplace, we could use the workplace. And um, if we wanna create an entirely otherworldly environment, we could just take you to another country. We have all these easy shortcuts because we're working for just one person at a time and engaging that person's whole community. Um, and so the work ends up being an incredible deep dive into uh, somebody's uh, psychology, somebody's aesthetic and narrative worldview, somebody's, um, somebody's total subjectivity, and it ends up generally being pretty transformative for that person. Um, we've been doing it since 2002. It was not, we didn't mean to do it that long. My friend Matthew Perdon and I were just going for this long walk in Big Sur on the, on, the, on the beautiful cliffs there and having this conversation about this problem of the ideal audience and how you create this, you create, well, some piece of writing or even a play and you put it out into the world and one person thinks it's a comedy, one person thinks it's a tragedy, but you really meant it to be a love poem. And, and there, there's that one person, that one person who gets it. Uh, who really gets it the way you meant it. And we thought, well, why are we making work for all those other people who don't get it? Why not just focus on the one person? And that's when we started this, what was at the time a side experiment. I was an architect and a poet and Matthew was a, uh, a painter and a playwright. And, and um, we thought, okay, this could educate us. We had no idea that this would become sort of central focus of our work because it opened all these doors, right? Like, like one, when you're focusing on that one person, when you're creating work for just that one person, you don't have to worry about the old fashioned metrics of success, you know, butts and seats, um, uh, how, what, what the reviews say, uh, how many people clap at the end if somebody gives you flowers. The relationship is totally different, right? Now you're creating something that if you want to evaluate it, you have to look back to your original intention. I'm creating something say for Michaela, which I'm hoping will give Michaela a sense of exuberance and freedom. Well, the measure of that work is whether you, Michaela, have that feeling of exuberance and freedom. And if you have a feeling of terror, something went wrong. It's no longer, you know, did you give somebody else a ticket? Uh, did they give, give me flowers afterwards? Did, did I take a bow? How long did the applause last? Did we fill the audience? It's no longer this kind of um, consumerist metric, right? It's now uh, a metric of, of a qualitative and relational quality. And we found that when we go there, 
our artists, we had a, an artist collective at the time and it grew and became Odyssey Works. Our artists go really deep. It's no longer about me expressing uh, what I'm experiencing to you and hoping you like it. It's now this interrelational thing between you and me, between how I see you, what I offer, how you receive that, it becomes this dynamic thing. And I go incredibly deep. Our, our artists go incredibly deep. Suddenly we're not making work that's about ourselves. It's, it's taken out this kind of inherent narcissism of art making and brought it into this relational realm. And we, it's, we get into this mode where we're, we're, we're falling in love with our audience, right? We, we, we have this kind of heuristic, which is sort of tongue in cheek, tongue in cheek, but it's also true that we're ready to start making work for the person when we've started dreaming about them. And so it's always a measure every morning. Have you dreamt about the participant yet? Have you dreamt about the participant yet? Um, and then one day somebody does and we realize we're just that deeply immersed. Um, so we've been doing it um, pretty consistently in various different formats since then. Matthew has moved on and we have had, um, it's been a long time and the experiment has allowed us to um, change a lot of lives, uh, but along the way also innovate in various different elements of art making and story making, thinking about things like how does a story actually work? How do we receive a story? What would it be for the story I write to become a deeply embedded part of your life? Um, and we've been able to experiment with that. It's been really interesting. There's so many other ways. Hmm. That's amazing. I love all of that. Now, tell us some people, you know, I know there's a book maybe out there in the universe, correct? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a website, there's a New York Times article. You can brag a little bit about yourself and Odyssey uh -huh. Works. Um, uh -huh. um, there's workshops. Like, how does that brand of creating a singular experience for a singular person now kind of percolate into all these different formats of education, percolate into all these formats of even like press and media coverage about this type of work, etc.? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Michaela, it's been really interesting over the years, you know, since we only had one audience member, which doesn't mean, by the way, that other people weren't involved. The, um, we would create an, a, a performance and then invite the public not to see it, but to help make scenes with us, right? Um, but still, that meant that it wasn't something that, you know, would be like uh, Sleep No More, where everybody sort of goes through the same experience and can talk about it in the same way. So we were relying a lot on press. And um, honestly, for a long time, nobody was interested. When we first did this, nobody was interested. And I think it's an interesting barometer of how immersive work and how experience design has sort of come into the popular consciousness. I remember giving a, a talk in, in a museum in Texas and they, um, and the museum, uh, the curators said, oh yeah, it's very much like uh, Vigo Akanchi. 
And I think Vito Acconci is really interesting, but it is absolutely nothing like Vito Acconci. You know, he follows people around and creeps them out, right? Like there's, it, it was just so, it was just so different. Uh, it, it, it's like it wasn't in the lexicon. And one day people started understanding what we were doing in a totally different way. And so then there was a New York Times article, Newsweek and all these different things, NPR. And so we were relying on their retellings, um, some of which were great, like the New York Times did a great article, and some of which were a little bit um, limited, focused on a kind of uh, spectacle aspect of what we were doing. And over the years, over about you know, 10, 15 years, we realized there were a lot of things we wanted to share about um, the internal workings, about the, the way you could use these tools, which we've been developing to make what we hoped was more meaningful work, work that was perhaps transformative for an audience member, which is this kind of holy grail that you hear coming up all the time, but uh, how do you get to it? So we wrote a book um, and it was uh, Aiden LaRue, who's the assistant director of Odyssey Works and myself uh, co-wrote this book for Princeton Architectural Press, which uh, they published uh, on that, they, they released on election day in 2016, which was kind of insane experience. I was like, really? Are you sure that's gonna be good? Like everything's gonna be fine. Nothing much is gonna change. And I'm like, okay. And it was uh, the the book release party in Brooklyn was like this was some some combination of a book release party and like a group morning session and like and uh, a support group. Uh, it's been really interesting. But we but we realized when we put that out that our mission had kind of changed. Like we're really interested in understanding how these ideas that we've been working with um, could uh, be applied in different fields and could support other artists in their work. So since then, since the book came out, we've been um, traveling the world, doing workshops, um, consulting, uh, and classes on how to design for experiences in a way that's really meaningful. Um, and just to give like a taste of what I mean by this, um, since this is uh, an immersive uh, world podcast that we're on, um, you know, this idea of immersive, it's something that we talked about in the class and, uh, and, and it's something that I, I try to come back to a lot. And right now I'm working, start, we're starting some classes at uh, MICA on on immersive experience design. This idea of immersive is very easy to understand as you're in the space, right? You're there, you're in the space. And that has incredible power, right? You're in the room, you're surrounded by glowing pumpkins. You're, uh, the actors are behind you and they might you know, flick your ears if you're not careful, right? You're like, you're there and it's got power. Um, but I think a lot of a lot of the time we get somewhat disappointed by immersive work because you just feel that that was all that happened, right? There, there, there is this potential for really powerful experience because no longer are you an observer, you're a, particip you're a participant, you're in it, right? And so we've found that you actually have to dig a little deeper into this idea, not just a physical immersion, but also a psychological immersion. And can you design? And you can design with the the idea of a psychological immersion. What 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 would it be to have your audience come in and have the uh, uh, the the narrative of their lives 
be continuous with the narrative you're presenting. This is a psychological immersion. This is when it's, um, it, it begins to matter, right? And, and the story, and we know it, and we know it, we've had that experience, right? And I think uh, if, you, if you look at religious practices, right? These are psychologically immersive because if you're a believer, you have, uh, you, you know the stories, right? You know what, um, what, the, what, the, what Hanukkah is about. That story has some meaning for you or Christmas or, 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 or Ramadan, like these, there's a story and then you're engaging the story. You are already immersed in that story. And that brings, to, of course, brings in the third level, which is an ontological or a spiritual immersion. That is to say, what is meaningful to you is meaningful in the piece. And you can dive through these three levels. If you wanna be, if you wanna create transformative work, you have to go not just into uh, kind of being physically surrounded by the thing. Um, and so, you know, we've been working with that for a long time. This is a question. Our question is how can this work be transformative? And one of the things we realize is we need to understand that. So we've been trying to bring this uh, to practitioners in many different fields, not just immersive theater or experience design, but uh, architecture and marketing and education and, um, and travel. Right, the the these ideas they 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 apply everywhere. Anywhere anyone is making something for another person that they want to be meaningful, these ideas apply. So we've been doing these workshops, um, and uh, we do sort of shorter workshops, and we do these weekend intensives, and we do things at organizations, and then we also do the master class, which is the which is what which is for us, which is like the holy grail of, of pedagogy, which, right? So for so long, we've been thinking about like, what would it be to, could we bring in, um, not just anyone, like they have to apply and we have to pick people. Like we'd spend a lot of time putting together a really um, amazing cohort of talented individuals, but could we bring people who are not pra practiced in our work together in a way that, um, gets them into this way of thinking, the total immersion in, in our audience, this falling in love practice, uh, this, um, this flow, which uh, was, is sort of built into the structure of what we do is the development of flow in the group um, in the creative process so that we're all moving towards uh, creating something meaningful. But that's, that was the masterclass. That was the idea. That was the seed behind the masterclass. And I, I'm, and can we brag? I see this thing about bragging on your wall. Can't brag if you don't finish. We finished. Yes. We're can on we a brag? video chat. I think it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so I mean, I'd love to hear. Like, so it's so interesting because the whole point of Odyssey works is creating an experience for a single person. But to me, the masterclass itself is an experience. And I can say that because earlier I called you dad and that's because you and Aiden were like mom and dad because I just recently did the masterclass in August of 2019. Um, and we were in upstate, the Finger Lakes area, I believe it's called, um, having an experience of our own as a cohort. And like what I thought was so wonderful and beautiful, and I think now this is when the roles between the both of us maybe begin to shift and change in this interview, interviewee aspect, is that I felt myself on that sliding scale. I was not the participant. I was not the one creating an being having an odyssey created for me. But I felt myself sliding through 
a physical immersion in the Odyssey Works Masterclass, a psychological immersion into the Odyssey Works Masterclass, and then it felt almost ontological by the end just because of the robust way that we all were kind of just like communicating with each other, the robust way we were working together to create this massive 24 plus hour experience for the singular participant. And watching us go from being physically immersed at the farm and doing our chores together and you and Aiden kind of leading us through these like more theoretical workshops about the theories and the foundations of Odyssey Works and then kind of sliding into this almost like psychological immersion where we were all like now suddenly feeling a lot more safe in ourselves and more safe with you and Aiden and we were bringing our own personalities to the table to start creating this experience. We were bringing our own tools to the table to start creating this experiences. We felt seen, not just physically, but also in what was happening in our brains was being seen throughout these like workshops as we got deeper and deeper each day. But then there was this moment where we were all questioning, like, are we gonna get this thing done? Cause we haven't even started planning it. And that was kind of an uh-oh moment for everyone across the cohort. And it was almost like that <laughs> moment was like the spiritual moment. We all came together and we're like having a come to Jesus. And we were like, if this is gonna happen, it's gonna happen. And, and I don't wanna give anything away X amount of time. And we haven't planned a single scene. We haven't thought about a single prop. And it was so interesting because all of that kind of like physicality of the work became so simple once we were all dialed into the spirituality of the work and I'm not meaning to get super meta but it was like almost like our cohort needed to come together that fast and that tight within that one week but that most of that time wasn't being spent creating or producing the experience it was being set bringing us together having us do things together having us share with one another and not in like a psychological psychiatrist way but just more in like a this is who I am this is my practice and allowing us to see each other's practices allowing us to hear each other's thoughts about different practices you know having video nights together watching about the participant but not necessarily saying okay now that he said that one thing in the video we're going to take that and create it and build it and like it wasn't this force like hammer and nail it was almost this like this like envisioning the product all together spiritually and then once we manifested that all together mentally, that we were gonna get it done no matter what, that it was going to be incredible no matter what, it almost just came to life on its own. And yeah, we did some producerial work. We like kind of gathered some props, some materials, and we definitely like created a really crazy run of show. I'm not letting people know over the podcast that it just all kind of like happens, but in a way like, the way it kind of fell all together within the amount of time we had to do it and again i don't want to say it because it almost scares me to say it again that we put together a literal 24-hour experience in x amount of time um and it was incredible you're right it was super successful and like i think everyone who was involved at whatever scene and for the listener the way that odyssey works breaks up these kind of big chunks of experiential we call them scenes, right? So if someone has a scene in a farmer's market, but then has a scene in the river, that could be two scenes that are connected to a larger scene. So that's all that means. Um, so the way we were placing scenes, certain people were more in charge of, or certain people were more involved with, or certain people were leading certain scenes. Other people were talent in those scenes. Other people were um, 
background support, making sure other things behind the scenes were getting set or placed so that they would be ready for when the participant walked by or when the participant discovered those things. And so just to say like wherever we were in that kind of like authority within the structure of the scene, we all felt so connected and proud and trusted each other to whoever was leading, to whoever was following, to whoever was placing or setting up. And that's why was that? Why did you why did you trust those people? I mean, that's you know, that's like the big question, right? I mean, it, it, I, I would say so much in so much of our lives, you know, there's a kind of a competition for authority, or there's a there's a uh, there's a sense that um, in so much of our lives, in so much of our lives, and so much of what we do. Um, we're when when we're creating there's a kind of competition for authorship right. there's a sense of um doing my part or like this is you know having my say and um getting my uh, corner of this piece and uh and i'm wondering like you know, a lot of that was pretty absent. You know, nobody actually, very few people actually know, for instance, uh, who created the post-apocalyptic cabin in the woods, right? I know, you know, but mm -hmm. there's not that many others. You know, Lyra knows, like <laughs> Leah knows. Uh, but, but, uh, and, and that's generally considered a fault, right? We know everybody worked on it. But how, how was that, how, why wasn't that something that undermined your um, devotion to that element or your um, belief in the people leading those particular scenes? You know mm. what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think that's like a two-part answer. For me, the first part of that answer is like the way that Aiden and you set the scene for us as Odyssey Works Master class members, the way that you create the experience. I think there's this sense of when you go to something called a master class that suddenly everyone's fighting for attention. Everyone needs to be seen. Everyone needs to feel like their voices are heard. And everyone feels a little on edge as a competition. But I think that when we came together and realized that we are a cohort and that none of this would happen without each other. And then I also think there was this very, and we were talking about this in an earlier conversation before we started the podcast. And for podcast listeners, I always hate when people say that as hosts, but I'm saying that right now and I'm gonna bring it back in, is we were talking about this idea of school and this idea of unschool and just like the way that we grow up in our environments, it's all about the grade, it's all about showing up every day, getting perfect attendance, getting principal's honors list, having the president's visit physical fitness award. So it's all about this like achieving, achieving, recognize, recognize, and then the children who, seem to not be as high achieving, usually get punished. They're usually the ones in detention. They're usually the ones that aren't allowed to go to recess, et cetera. And I felt like that whole idea of traditional schooling or traditional masterclass kind of threw out the window. Like I was going through a lot of really big personal struggles coming into the masterclass and Aiden and Abe knew that really well. I made that really clear. And I didn't allow my cohort to really know it until about three fourths of the way through, but it felt like I was given the space to not be as present. I was given the space to sometimes not be as energetic or as happy or as bubbly as I normally am. And that to me felt like a relief. It was like, wherever I am in my journey, 
I am being 100% fully accepted, embraced, and supported by not only quote unquote mom and dad, as we kind of coined them later throughout the experience, but also like my cohort. And that was really powerful. And then, so that's one fold of it, because then I think when, when you realize that you are not enough and not everyone around you is enough to put on this experience and to be a holistic, happy human being sometimes, then everyone around you is also recognizing and experiencing that. Like, for example, we all had to clean up and do dishes every night and we all had to help cook dinner and breakfast and lunch. And there was something about that, like, we all are doing this with one another and we're watching each other in real time, make things easier, make things more efficient, learning good communication skills. Hey, are you going to dry that dish? No. Hey, can I scrape this pile? Yes, you can scrape that pile. Oh, sorry. I thought you were done with the water. Like even that on like a structural level was kind of like working in our favor. But then the second part of that answer, I think is also a spiritual level again, and not to get religious, but like, I believe that if everyone comes to the table, completely selfless, like you were saying, non-narcissistic, our names are nowhere on that cabin. Our names are nowhere on that loaf of bread that was baked. Our names are nowhere on the uh, field experience that we built. And in that way, we came so selfless and ready to fill someone else up, aka our participant, that that then also creates this kind of energy flow, not only towards the person, but towards each other that allows her to have that kind of like non-pride, non-narcissistic, everyone's in it together, everyone's equal, even if some people are taking leadership roles, even some people are taking more follow-up roles. I have to say, I've stepped out to deal with a personal call when things were being assigned and I stepped back in and I got my assignment and I almost started crying again because the assignment I got to whatever scene was the one that I was like absolutely loved and adored. And there was this moment where it was like, I can either keep this inside of myself and allow it to affect the rest of my experience, or I can voice it right now and see what's going to happen. And I chose to voice it and I, nothing but love, nothing but care, nothing but support. Okay. You don't want to be a part of X scene? No stress, no worries. We are going to bring you upstairs and we're going to have you work with Y scene because that's the scene you want to be a part of because that's the scene you feel most connected to. And that was huge as an artist. I think usually as an artist, it's like, especially as a student artist or someone as a student, this is what you're assigned. You know, you're being, you're being not thoughtful to the group if you're going to change your assignment or like your group is going to be disappointed in you or the group you're, you're moving into is already like moving forward. It's just like none of that was happening in real time whatsoever. And that was incredible too. So. Yeah, that's really, that's really interesting to hear. And I think, you know, the, <clears throat> just, just, just to connect it to, you know, what's going on behind the scenes for Aiden and myself and Odyssey Works you know, one of the, I would say the biggest tensions in our work, in Odyssey Works, is the desire not to be systematic, if it's okay to say that. Yeah. Um, because what we're, because I don't, I don't know of systems that inherently are transformative, that can be that way without the live participation and sense of newness that people bring to it, mm. uh, bring to them. That is to say, um, I, in my own, own experience, and I think people can certainly, um, I would love to hear from people who, who feel and have felt differently, but in my own experience, the power of presence 
uh, is uh, absolutely necessary to create work that's transformative for a couple of reasons. Uh, presence and newness mean that you have to come as an artist to the situation with uh, a, a, with with a with an open question. As soon as and we've seen this in Aussie works. We've done it a long time. We started developing tools that were you know, good, right? Like we just started to develop a, a, a tool set about how to get people open, how to get people, you know, to leave behind uh, their defenses, how to get people to bring their stories, right? And once we saw that, we saw it would be really easy to lean back on those laurels and just apply those tools and, um, and, and have a great experience. And we could do that. And I would, I, you know, I can think of one performance, which I won't name, where I was struck by how we hadn't brought a sense of newness to the piece. And I was shocked by it because what happened was we weren't at the same level as our participant. We weren't facing the unknown in the same way our participant was. Mm -hmm. And so it's this tension between developing a system that works. Of course, you have to learn things and bringing a kind of beginner's mind always. And so, um, with uh, with the masterclass, like we have a pretty intense syllabus, right? Like we have worked it out, you know, especially in the beginning part, uh, the pedagogical side, pretty intensely. We've brought all of our learnings from doing from from spending years doing um, intensives and workshops and stuff, and we and and our own group process. Like we've brought all that. We know what works in a certain sense in terms of getting people on board with a set of ideas. However nothing will be at all worthwhile if we aren't open to the uncertainty that um, that comes from newness and that is to say from this entirely unique group of people bringing their brilliance to 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 um, apply to this practice um, and so that's you know that's that's not the way pedagogy works right like i give my you know i teach at micah in baltimore and i give I, you know, I give my dean a syllabus and she expects that is exactly what I'm going to do, right? right? Semester after semester. And it certainly makes sense to do that because it's a lot of work not to, right? But in, um, you know, you're talking about this kind of constantly changing, these constantly changing factors in our lives. Yeah. And it's when you're working with, the, with, the, with like a fixed, uh, a fixed idea about what has to happen, those are problems. Like we want to eliminate yeah. But in this practice, if we're going to make it matter, both for you as an artist and for and the audience, mm -hmm. we need to, that, those, that, that life, that vitality needs to be part of it. Like, it's not a problem that you were dealing with stuff in life. It was, uh, it was a feature. It's not right. a bug, it was a feature. Right, you know? and I, I think that's an um, issue with how we produce things. I think there's this idea when we produce things that, the product is the most important part and not the, necessarily the process. And that seems really like, no, everyone knows that. But I'm saying like, if you work in immersive, interactive, experiential design and your team is having the worst experience as they're creating what's supposed to be a transformational experience, immersive experience, a dance experience, a funny, weird experience, it doesn't matter. Like you at the fundamental level, if you claim that you do this work and you want to do it well, you have to give that same type of space, that same type of, um, per, uh, not accountability, but uh, when you give someone the permission, give the same permission to your team members 
to the people you are working with to create the experience for themselves working on the experience. I know now we're getting into the meta layers of it, but there's like very real issues with mm-hmm. the corporate world that you and I were talking about that like because people don't feel like they're allowed to be holistic human beings or people don't feel like they can just bring themselves and do the work that they know they can do well and being uh, being gently urged into doing the things they enjoy and not just the things they, they don't enjoy, that causes a lot of tension. That causes a lot of pettiness. It causes a lot of competition. It causes a lot of fear. It causes a lot of unneeded resentment, unneeded kind of like, Anti, 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 um, and ethopy, ethopy, ethopy. I know towards the work. And with Odyssey Works, you can't have any of that. You really can't. And if you have it, it's going to come out really fast because you're not doing it for yourself, and you're not doing it for a huge, lifeless black audience, even. 30 audience members that come in through the door and then leave the next day or the ne- within the next hour. You're doing it for a singular person who's going to feel and pick up on the type of work that was done for them very quickly. Right. Right. So it's this like I- idealized situation, right? I mean, we're not going to make much of a living if we set- send all of our artists out into the world to spend all their energy doing one person, uh, one person performances. Um, and and so I kind of want to, I just want to really turn this interview around on to you and, 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 and ask, you know, because you, Michaela, are, you know, one of our, our part of this cohort and we were so excited to see your application. You've done such amazing things. I can't even comprehend actually how you've managed all of it. Um, but I, you know, between dance and film and performance and installation, you, we were talking about an idea that you, you've been working on, uh, which is like out, outside of any definition um, uh, uh, recently. And these these practices, most of them, most of these practices, like film or podcasting or, or whatever, are practices that you know that have a, a, a set way of doing it. You're not gonna well, you're probably not gonna be a podcast. Let's hope you're not podcasting for just one person. Let's hope you're not making film for just one person. And, um, and you know, there's, you know, there are metrics of success. You need to be able to make a living. You need people to listen to it. Like you can't turn these practices into odyssey work. So what's the, what's the point? Why go off and do odyssey? Like what's the application? Oh boy. I mean, I think honestly, it's really where you, where you are. And it's so funny because I asked you the exact same thing in my interview process. <laughs> I was like, what's the point of me doing this again? And you kind of said exactly what I'm about to say to you and to the audience. Like, it's really about where you are. It's really about like, if you are A, open, B, if you want to choose to learn something new, if you want to have a transformational experience as an artist, as a multidisciplinary person, as a person yourself, like, it's so interesting because I feel like there's this, there's this thing that happens to us as we get older, when we're being told not to be as loud, when we're being told not to look at things or hear certain things or not move our bodies in a certain way, we start to shut down our senses. We start to shut down, like, who we are and the power and what you call the brilliance we have inside of us to be more like what is expected of us. And I think that 
if someone is listening to this and is fed up with feeling like they just need to continue to be what is expected of them, or they're continuing to be this label of what everyone knows them uh, by, then I think Odyssey Works is a great way for you to kind of reinvent yourself, but also maintain the structures of what you know. Because I obviously came into Odyssey Works as the documentarian, as the filmmaker, but I was also able to be vulnerable. I was also able to not be as high energy. And that to me like felt really relieving because other people would fill the space for me because that's just the kind of cohort that was created. And then I think so the purpose of doing something for one person, no, you're not gonna do that on every single day of your life but like the idea of doing something like going to Disneyland or going to a different country to visit for a week or you know maybe going skydiving like those like top of the mountain world changing life changing perspective changing experiences aren't something you do over and over again because people are going to be like what you're going to go to Disneyland every day of your life. Like, what is that going to do for you? Oh, you're going to climb Mount Everest every day of your life. What is that going to do for you? Those are not meant to be like constant daily scenarios. But what they're meant to do, I think, is they're meant to inform your perspective, your behavior, your learnings for, for a day-to-day experience that might make you money mm-hmm. versus something like a one-person audience experience isn't going to necessarily make you money, but taking very clearly the aspects of what I learned or the aspects of what I'm now more aware of from Odyssey Works and applying it to my work with clients as a narrative designer Mm -hmm. or with clients as a producer, as a project manager, even just, I think just in general, every single experienced designer, immersive interactive creator needs to have a more robust understanding of the audience. And and mm-hmm. how can you not not think that by just clearly studying one person for a week that you're not going to walk away with a wealth more information about an audience member, even if it's that singular mm-hmm. person in that singular body in that singular brain? That doesn't mean you can't take that learning and apply it to maybe two people and then three people and then four people and then five people. And then suddenly maybe you have a more successful experience that you were already planning on doing for 20 people. So to me, when people right, are like, right why do it? And I say, well, if you are in the position, you can do it. And it's not a financial burden. And it's not a, you know, a personal scheduling issue, then my answer to them would be why not do it? Because that's just honing your craft. Honing your craft. So it's, it's, I feel like you're saying it's like, it's like a utopian practice. Like you're, you're, you're not going to change the world, you know, by creating this sort of one utopian uh, experiment, but you are going to walk out saying, oh, well, this is the end of a line, and now I know how to draw that line and extrapolate down to it. I'm sort of looking at, um, looking at the, the, I was so moved by the people who came this last summer and, and before, but, but, la, but the, your cohort was, was, is fresh in my mind, and I'm thinking about like how their practices uh, informed what we did, but also reminded me and and Aiden um, that so much of what Odyssey Works does comes from uh, comes from basically best practices in traditional uh, in traditional ways like our chef Life who uh, who has been who's was an incredible chef but also part of the cohort you know had been had been thinking it had been thinking about these things for a long time and how do you make 
um, how do you make food into this transformative experience that creates community? I mean, that was his role there. Or I think about, um, you know, there's more sort of traditional things like Sophie uh, Larsman, who came over seven months pregnant from London uh, to with who, who, who just started any one thing, which is an immersive theater company, very tech or which actually started her, the founder of it started that after um, attending one of our workshops. Um, but, you know, so there's, you know, that, that's, that's certainly out there. But then you have folks like, um, I was thinking about Jesse, who came from South Africa, who works, for, what does he do? He works with uh, at-risk youth, I think. Yeah, is as a right? magician. Mm -hmm. As a magician. Yeah. He's a magician who works with at-risk youth to help, like, bring them, give them a sense of empowerment. And he's awesome. Incredible. And, so and nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, but you know, every and everybody who came like that was, you know, brought their practices. It, was, it informed what we were doing. It's not like Odyssey Works had this uh, this patented idea. You know, work for one person. Uh, uh, consider your audience and use and use that in, as the center of the design process. Like all these people uh, have been doing that. You know? Right. Um, like I think like of the hay bale in, in scene. The I think of the hay bale scene that Lauren created, and Lauren has like a parkour background, and like how beautiful that right. like the movement of our bodies with those ginormous hay bales and the movements of Jesse juggling, all were informed. Mm -hmm. Not because Odyssey Works was like we always have a movement piece in an Odyssey works, so we need a movement piece. It was like so authentic to Lauren as a parkour and as like a movement artist mm -hmm. to be like, let me bring this. And then Lyra and I with already our pre-existing dance backgrounds kind of augmenting on top of that. And then Jesse with his magician background augmenting on top of that. And that just became, I think one of the more most beautiful visual scenes we had in the piece. Not that there wasn't other beautiful scenes that were more like mm -hmm. intimate. Some of them were a little more physical. Even like, and not to get crazy, but like we wrecked a car, like on the inside. Like, like Lyra, Leah, and I, like straight up, like hail, sticks, ripped up books. Like you walked into that car and it was apocalyptic from top to bottom. And the right. fact that we weren't like given direction to be like, by the way, in a perfect Odyssey Works formula, we always have some sort of a vehicle that's transformed in a way. No, that was, right. that was me and my apocalyptic team saying, we need to transform this vehicle because it's a transformational experience to go from a cabin to a public space. And what is that transition? And we were detail oriented in our own ways to say, let's create details from the cabin that exist in the car that then exist in this public space that will be like, almost these recurring innuendos in the experience that will then pop up hours after with X team. Yeah. And we were like yeah. just pulling those all together because we knew what made a good story. We knew that details were important, but we also knew that we, we, we knew that this was our pride in our work and we wanted to bring our pride mm -hmm. in our work to the work as well. And yeah, and it's, it's it's really interesting. Even even the writers. I mean, you would think like writing, and I, I'm you know I have an MFA in writing. It, it, you'd think that this doesn't apply, right? It's not performance. It's not immersive. It's not all these things. And so the writing team, which was what Melanie, Melanie and Sylvia, yeah, uh, um, wrote some of the they, most beautiful letters. Right, and it was coming. For, it came. It was such an interesting process coming from their deep understanding of 
what everybody was creating together, but also this, this obsessiveness that we co-created with our participant, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and it was interesting to see how everybody in the end, I mean, we have a pretty strict um, uh, syllabus for the few, first few days, but then everybody has to kind of settle into the spot that best, um, best applies their, their, their brilliance, their talents to this overall vision that we created together on, you know, a thousand sheets of giant post-it uh, board. All over the walls, all, all over, over the walls. walls. All over the walls, you know, and, and, and it was so interesting to see that it wasn't up to Aiden or myself to find um, who belonged where really, um, maybe to kind of coach along the way, but then to see that settling down. I think, you know, now that we're talking about it, what moved me most, I mean, we were on this, we were at this folk art guild, which was really very much about uh, creating work that is meaningful in people's lives. But, you know, this, the end of our performance, you know, just not to give too much away, but I don't know why that would be a problem since the pieces over no one can see it. But, uh, you know, we created an intentional community that our, perf that our audience member, our participant was brought to Josh. And in that intentional community, um, everybody was always waking up each day and creating their first chapter, which is a, a kind of heuristic for starting anew to find what would be the most meaningful way to yeah. uh, create. And that was also what we were doing. It was the performance, but it was also the demand that the group placed upon each other. And then we had this final scene, which was exactly at the interstice between uh, our real lives, why everybody had come there, and the performance, this fantasy of this other world, uh, this post-apocalyptic world where this one community, like in Station Eleven, comes together and does what they find most meaningful. And we, um, I, it's hard to describe, but we, in this beautiful uh, architectural space, um, shared our first chapters with the participant, but everybody was on that journey together. I think that, to me, that was, I've never seen um, I've never seen a moment where process and product so invisibly intertwine, mm. right? And mm -hmm. that, can, what, was that, what was that moment like for you? It's funny because I no, it's funny though because I'm not the person to talk to because I wasn't in that moment. Oh right, because <laughs> you stepped out to prep the next moment. <laughs> so that's funny. That's right. because that was yeah so that finale scene with everyone as a cohort it was my position to prep the dessert and then I took it a step further and decided to just clear off also the dinner table for everyone and to me and so that's what's interesting is that like while Odyssey Works is so focused on the audience member and while that was really the focus was to create this experience for him in the 24 hours that he had with us for me, what I took away from it was it was also for me, the cohort themselves, and to be able to take a moment to step away from that final scene to allow other people to take care of the participant so that I could take care of our cohort was really special for me because in of itself, I was having my own first chapter, like, experience, like mm -hmm. transformational experience, just taking the quiet moment to myself to reflect on everything that had gone on from the day, from the production, from the week. And being able to say, like, I know that if I put myself into this position and take on this work, that it's going to be appreciated, 
when it comes back out, when they come back out. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I wasn't actually there for that scene, which is funny. <laughs> that was really, really funny. Do you still, are you still in touch with the cohort? Oh yeah. I mean, oh yeah. Like Lyra was just in town. Lyra is an amazing creator in San Francisco. She was like, Michaela, what can I do in New York? And I literally like probably overwhelmed her with floods of emails to like creators and to content and to like things I was doing and seeing. And I was like, you can come with me to all this. You don't have to come with me to any of this. Make sure if you want to see this, I can connect you with the creator of that. Like it was so much fun. And then I actually was in Denver for a quick visit and saw Leah. Um, and we're very active on our WhatsApp, as you know. Um, Jesse and I were in com- communication about a documentary I'm trying to pitch and get greenlit by Nat Geo currently, um, just about some of the women he works with in South Africa. Um, and I also stay in touch with the friend that I made at the, at the Guild. There was this little, he was like 11 years old. His name was Aiden. He was like the one kid at the guilds. He was the one child, like with all these kind of elderly, um, intentional community members. And he and I were running around with the camera all week and I was teaching him how to use the camera. And now that he doesn't have internet, we do not email, we pen pal. So I have a pen pal, thanks to the co Wow. Um, wow. And it's funny because wow. you were talking about this idea of newness. Now, What's interesting is we could just re- rinse and repeat that masterclass, right? In a way, you could just go back to the finger yeah. lakes. You could just go back to that intentional community, knowing that it's a beautiful space to create these amazing experiences. But why don't you share with the audience what's in store for the masterclass next year? Because I am super not jealous, but jealous. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to Lisbon. Oh my We're going God. to Lisbon which we're super excited about. We've been, I mean, there's a lot of different reasons. and It is really tempting because we have such a good relationship with uh, the Folk Art Guild and we will go back there um, because it's such an, such an amazing space for us to do, do something like this. But um, Aiden and I need to also be challenged to find a place anew each time as well. So we felt that if we stayed at the Folk Art Guild this next summer, we would be saying, oh, oh yeah, here's a good spot for doing a dance on a hay bale. And last year they did this. So either you do this or you try to one up, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so we didn't want to, we didn't want to be kind of repeating ourselves or sort of, you know, taking somebody not being as new to the space as our, um, as our cohort was. And so, uh, so we decided we'd go abroad. The first year we were in Mexico, which is abroad, but it wasn't as far abroad as Lisbon. Um, and we were down in Baja at the Modern Elder Academy, which is a beautiful space. Um, but <clears throat> we've had a lot of, you know, there's been a lot of interest from people in Europe and it's, uh, it's, it's a long way for them to travel. And so we thought maybe just this once will make it a little easier and we'll go somewhere that we're pretty foreign to and have to discover. And of course, everybody loves Lisbon. Um, It's an incredible city. It's so beautiful. Um, And most of it, and our first two masterclasses have been not, well, not entirely rural, but pretty much rural, although they've taken place in nearby cities and towns as well. This would be our first time uh, being embedded in a city a beautiful city that we would have to discover with our cohort. Of course, Aiden and I go early. We spend a lot of time sight scouting, developing relationships. We're already sort of in the middle of that. 
um, and sort of laying the groundwork so that when people show up, there's there's kind of there 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 is groundwork already set. But um, it'll be new for us. Uh, I speak Brazilian Portuguese, <laughs> which is not the same as Portugal Portuguese, and Aiden speaks Spanish, and so you know we're we'll we'll have this sense of foreignness as well. Um, and we're we're just really excited, and we want to. We've had a lot of applicants for both participant and masterclass from Europe, who for various reasons had difficulty coming over to the United States. So this this will be our 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 effort to come to them. About four or five years ago, we were going to do a um, an odyssey in London at the Battersea Art Center, and we just got our heads all turned around. Really excited about it. And they were super supportive and the artists there were wonderful and um, everything was great and then the Battersea Art Center burned down <laughs> we were heartbroken so we've been trying to get back to Europe to do an odyssey ever since so this is a big kind of return for us and um, yeah the applications are open now if you want to if you want to apply to be today, the participant today is December right. 10th 10th. 10th. This is probably going to go live the week after. So when did the applications close? The applications to be the participant close January 5th. And I know that makes it sound like, oh, after New Year's, you can get the application, just quickly fill it out. This application takes at least an hour and a half to two hours and probably more to fill out. And, and filling it out is an experience in and of itself. You are um, just going to be honest. It probably won't be you. We get a lot of applications for, for the participant, and um, our, our, our decision process is fairly opaque, um, but uh, it, it, it's worth applying anyway. It's sort of like when you buy a lottery ticket, you know you're not gonna win most likely, but it gives you a chance to think about what it would be like to, to have that change in your life. This gives you a chance to think about how would, uh, how would uh, people who are creating something for me, see me uh, based on what I'm what I'm offering. It's incredible. I try to fill it out every year. Aiden does as well. Um, and just that level of reflectivity is 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 powerful. So fill it out. Do the application. Doesn't matter if you're in the U.S. In Europe, you're it's it's free as long as you can get yourself to Lisbon in July. You have till January 5th. I suggest starting now. At least start before Christmas. And then we're also taking applications for the masterclass. Um, and those are due by the end of January. And it's, uh, it's also, you know, it's not nearly as intense, but, it, but it's, it's perhaps more intense for Aiden and myself. We look at each application really carefully. We spend a lot of time trying to assemble a cohort that we feel will create great work together. And um, we've been lucky to have enough applications that we can pick and choose a little bit and try to make, um, try to try to bring a level of diversity both in life background and in practices that will make for an exciting collaboration. And so far, it looks like we'll have a pretty international group coming together in Lisbon based on who's been applying and and. Um, we want you to apply, and we and it's not you know we have some people like you, Michaela, who are incredibly talented and experienced and uh, uh, and accomplished, and we have people who are sort of earlier on in their careers, but bring um, bring both you know talent, but also a kind of attitude uh, and and openness that are necessary to make this cohort really cohere. Um, 
and then you know because we want we, we want both a community to develop in that week but also as you've been talking about to continue uh thereafter and great things have happened afterwards i mean i think about i'm so excited to one day get to see an anyone thing show or um you know this yearning started after the master class and we're gonna see say something bunny in january together aren't we, we? are yes we are yes we are um yeah so, so all kind of you know so yeah apply by the end of january for the for the master class and and i'm it's it's such a great time for us for Aiden and myself because we get exposed to so many incredible humans um that we never would have gotten exposed to had we just sat around making our own work and hoping uh hoping somebody showed up mm. Uh, just really quickly, I'm thinking about people who are really maybe concerned just about getting to Lisbon or like maybe the price of the masterclass. So obviously the masterclass, it is at a package price because of the experience you have. You get seven days food. This is me just thinking logistically, you know, you get lodging, you obviously get incredible hands-on one-on-one experience, like all the things we need to say to kind of sell quote unquote the masterclass, which we're not trying to sell it at all, but there is a price point and yeah. I know you and I and Aiden have talked multiple times just about whether that means we need to start making these things free to people how can we do that without it being sustainable for you and Aiden um, so there are some scholarship type opportunities if you want to just quickly speak mm -hmm. to that before we wrap up just in case there's yeah. someone here that's like yes this is for me but I am newer in my yeah. career or I'm not as stable in my financial situation yeah yeah and that's really important to us we have uh, we have two, <coughs> excuse me, we'll have two um, work study positions where people uh, don't pay tuition at all. They just pay for their room and board. Uh, they still have to get themselves to Lisbon. Um, and that's like, that's real work study. Like your like life was the head chef and uh, he was, you know, that was real work and, and yeah. study, but, it, but he was also bringing his, you know, his practice. Uh, which everybody is bringing. Um, so that's one way. We have two of those positions. They're competitive, um, and we're able to offer those. And then we also have uh, need-based scholarships. We don't uh, we don't have a FAFSA or whatever. <laughs> you know, we don't do any of that. It's it's all based on self-reporting. We expect people to just be honest about what their level of need is, and then. You know, we chat, we balance it between the people who can afford to pay a lot and people who uh, perhaps are earlier in their careers. And it's, I, it worked out last summer. I think um, we were able to offer at least partial scholarships to everybody who needed it and then um, help some people out by doing these work study programs. And it's something that we, um, we, you know, we're tweaking all the time since, you know, we're not an endowed institution. Uh, yes. But I think it, I think, We've yet, yeah. Any anybody wants to endow us, we're totally open to that. Uh, there's one other thing actually that we didn't mention uh -oh. that you just said, uh, which is that um, we've expanded it to eight days. Uh, oh, lose a day. Aiden and I are always frustrated that we wanted just one more day to to develop the um, the the performance and. Um, so the tuition is the same, but we expanded it by, by one day so that we can really wow. go a deeper. It's hard to get people more than two weekends in the week in between yeah. off, but we thought, okay, well, let's just maximize that. As long as right. we're taking the week in between, we might as well take, you know, both weekends and give people travel day, uh, travel days. So it's, it's tighter for travel, but it makes it, 
it gives us a little more breathing breathing room for our curriculum yeah yeah we're excited I have to say, I was also, uh, to be totally transparent with this audience, I was one of the recipients of the need-based scholarships. And no, I didn't get to go to Odyssey Works Masterclass for free, but it did help alleviate a lot of the stress of just that top level kind of ask for me having to figure out my budget to be able to supplement. And also for anyone listening, I'm pretty sure like, the applications went live in April, we knew by May, and then it wasn't until August. So we have months and months and months in advance to prep and kind of adjust your scheduling, adjust your budgeting for what you need. And this again, me just being more of a producer for everyone to be like, well, it all sounds so nice, but it doesn't sound logistically possible. There is time, there is space between knowing that you're in the class and actually attending the class to get that kind of all situated for yourself in a really comfortable way. Right, and we made these changes also this year, we added more time, right? So it'll be in February. Hopefully we'll be finishing our uh, assembling the masterclass uh, cohort and then you'll have until July, which gives people a lot more time to kind of make, um, make arrangements in their, in their lives. And we, you know, some people's um, companies will pay for them to come and, you know, that will help subsidize the people whose companies, you know, are, you know, them and their best friend making, you know, making one-on-one -on -one performances on the streets, right? So um, uh, there's, uh, you know, there's, there's a way to balance it out. And so we're working on that. That's our work behind the scenes, which Ooh. is, you know, uh, will we try to, but we, we try to protect people from, so that they just, you know, that's total transparency about the way we're trying to figure this out. But um, uh, it's it's an ongoing effort that's really important to us because right. you know you know the obvious reasons. Yeah, of course. Well, okay, we should really wrap up only because I absolutely could just talk to you forever, as everyone I'm sure I can already tell. Um, and I just want everyone to know that we don't want to bore you with like a three-hour-long Michaela a podcast episode. Um, I just want to give a huge shout out to Noah and Catherine at No, no Proscenium for allowing us to kind of do this fun, non-traditional podcast episode for the No Proscenium podcast. I want to give a huge shout out to Abe for slash dad. It's so weird to call you Abraham. Um, just to be uh, this honored, honored guest today. Um, all of my shout outs and love also go to mom, aka Aiden LaRue. Um, and of course, my 2019 masterclass cohort, Odyssey Works, we were incredible. Um, and it was an incredible transformational experience that we couldn't have had without every single person bringing what they brought, doing what they did. And I know that seems really not tangible, but if you're interested, if you're curious, I would say apply and see what happens because it's your journey and it's your experience. and you will not meet the nicest, you will not meet anywhere the nicest group of people and the nicest two people like Abe and Aiden have been for me and for my cohort in our lives. So thank you again, Abe, for coming on this podcast with me. It's been an absolute pleasure, as it always is talking to you, Michaela. Oh, thanks. <laughs>
I hope you're having a good one. I hope you're finding time to reflect, to get away from it all, to uh, disconnect from the endless churn of noise that is our social media infected lives, and that you're looking towards the horizon. And while acknowledging all of the work that needs to be done and all the challenges that we face collectively, that you know that you are not alone, that um, <laughs> that uh, one of the biggest things, uh, one, of the, one of the surest, surest ways to feel completely at a loss and um, just incapable is to to let the world, let the forces that be uh, make you feel like you're alone. And we're not alone. You're not alone. I'm telling you right now. Um, I may not always be able to give you everything you need, but together, collectively, um, we have uh, a lot of strength. And uh, share a little of that strength with each other. Pass that around. Keep it going. The great chain from from one being to another. Not uh, a crazy hierarchy, but this uh, hand-to-hand thing that uh, we've got going on. Um, you might be able to detect where some of this is coming from, uh, or maybe you, uh, you can't. Uh, who knows? But um, that's, that's the feeling that's on my mind. The feeling that's on my mind. Hmm. Wow, there's a, there's a verbal construction I haven't done before. That's what's in my heart. That's what's in my head right now. And uh, they're in harmony. So I wish you a Merry Christmas, a Happy Holidays. Uh, whatever you're celebrating right now, even if it's just getting away from it all, tuning it all out, and you spent some time here with us. Um, So much more in the time to come, and uh, I really look forward to sharing it with you. So this podcast, this entire crazy effort we do, is made possible by our Patreon backers. Uh, You too can become one of them at patreon.com slash nopriscinium. Our sustaining backers are Mark Baltazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurston, Sam Kidkin, Samuel Mustry, Sidney Guillory, and Jeremy Charles Hahn. The executive editor of No Persenium is Catherine Yu, uh, the, the sun around which we all orbit. I am your publisher and founder and podcast host, Noah Nelson. Uh, and the music for this show is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. And with that... My friends, enjoy the rest of your 2019, and until next year, I'll see you at the show.